I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, Merry Christmas, guys. We're recording this on Christmas Eve, and look what we do. It's all part of our tradition. Right? This yeah. is our new Christmas. It, it's not our Christmas <laughs> tradition, really. It, it, in fact, I think the only reason reason wascally wabbits. Um, <laughs> the only reason we're actually recording is because we haven't recorded in two weeks. Otherwise, we would be like, ah, oh, it's Christmas Eve though, and I like to start drinking well, early on Christmas Eve. Well, you know, <laughs> that's why we're all in our pajamas and we're, we're we've moved the microphones under the Christmas tree. We're sipping our cocoa, and uh, you know, we're we're gonna talk about funny books. I feel like I did all of that wrong. I'm not doing any of that. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds lovely. I should have done that instead. <laughs> I, I will say um, I'm sitting in my office, which I don't, you know, I don't know how this happens, but it happens. It happened in our last house too. That my office turns into Christmas present storage. Ah. You know, and we've got Jen's family, we've got my family, and so my office just turns into like Amazon Box Central uh-huh. for about a month. And, uh, you know, we, we, we wrapped everything over these last few days. And now I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, this office feels empty now. It echoes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that my office becomes the same, but it's just the gifts that I bought. Right. It's not like uh, Suzanne stores her gifts in here. It's just everything that I'm responsible for purchasing and wrapping winds up in here with me. And so I, I've, I'm cleared out now. Like yourself, it feels like an empty nest. Right. Well, and, and and on top of it, I also have the the boxes in here that are to me from me. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> uh huh. To Paul. From, from Paul. Paul. From Santa. In quotes. That's great. <laughs> uh, well, Santa left a steaming pile of coal in my stocking this year. What? Uh, this last week, because uh, you know. Batman Spawn number one came out. Mm. <laughs> a, a steaming pile of coal. A steaming pile of coal. <laughs> you know, wow. Uh, I have been reading comic books for a long time. I don't think I have ever seen a worse artistic depiction of Alfred ever. Well, and, you know, Greg Capullo drew Alfred for like yeah. six years when, when Scott Snyder was writing the book. What was wrong with the depiction of Alfred other than that, that it was bad? That it was inked by Todd McFarlane, and it looks like a Todd McFarlane Spawn character, not Alfred. Uh, yeah, he like Twitch. He looks like Twitch, you know, um, from Sam and Twitch. It's, he looks like he's a recovering uh, cancer patient. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, so the book is written by Todd McFarlane. And for, for any of the folks on the podcast who haven't heard the episode, I, I, I have recently, you know, Spawn went through a whole, I don't want to say reboot, but kind of. You know, big relaunch recently, um, you know, expanding the Spawn universe. And I picked it up. And, you know, the writing that worked for me back in 1994 no longer works for me in 2022. Um, but the writing style of Todd McFarlane is very much the same, you know, to the point where you, you, you know, his, um, like the, you know, the captions and things like that say, literally will say things like, our hero does this. You know, and it's like, hmm, that's uh, that's, that's not really working in today's modern, you know, the way the way people write comics, you would just say, you know, yeah, Spawn does this. Um, and, you know, well, first I'm, of all, you don't really need the caption because you should let the art speak for itself. Um, but this book is written by Todd McFarlane in that same style, you know, and it's it's so it's terribly bad. I mean, the writing on this book is terribly bad. I had less issues with the art because it's Greg Capullo. 
but it's still not Greg Capullo at the top of his game. I feel like he, you know, he was. I don't blame Capullo. I think Capullo, he, he may have been meeting the deadline, but I think a lot of it is the inking over his pencil because yeah. McFarland did the inks. And I think that McFarland ruined some of his artwork. I could see that. He made it McFarlane. Exactly. And like, I remember loving the original Batman Spawn. One of the two of them. The other one was terrible. Not the one by Greg, not the one by Todd McFarlane, though. <laughs> That's the thing. The one by Doug Mensch and Klaus Jansen was the good and one. I don't know if that one would hold up from the standpoint of if you're not reading the books, you understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. It felt like it would, like it was those characters out of their own time frames. But this book, it's like if you're not reading Spawn and I'm not and you don't know what's going on with it. This character makes no sense in this book, and it is completely different than the Spawn that I read growing up. And the Batman is, it's a timeless Batman. You don't need to know what's going on in Batman's books because they're irrelevant to this. Yeah, you know, it's it's just bad. (laughs) And the Joker they have in here is the Joker where he cut off his face. Yeah. That's already over and done. He just did it because they wanted Todd McFarlane's look of Joker without a face to match the spawn face and the flies all around Joker's face. You know, so I'm, I'm just going to give a little bit of example of some of the dialogue. And th- this is Batman speaking. I get it. I know how they trained you to think from the neck down. That's how you survived. I tried that, too, for a while. Nearly got me killed a dozen times. Now I use what's above my neck. My brain, as big and powerful as, as as my enemies may be, each has their weakness. I find that, exploit it, and scare the crap out of them while doing so. And I'm like, is that Batman? <laughs> yeah, well, and they make it very <laughs> scare the clear. crap out of them. <laughs> yeah, they make it very clear that Batman doesn't kill, but he doesn't seem to have a problem working with Spawn, who's killing people left and right. On yeah, society. there is that. I mean, you know, for what it's worth, the book is terrible. The book is exactly what I expected it to be, but was hoping it wasn't. Yeah, I wanted it to be a follow up to the story that I loved so much originally, where Batman puts a battering in Spawn's face. Yeah. You know, ultimately, what they should have done is they should have made this book. You know, they should have gotten like Scott Snyder or some superstar writer to to write this book. Exactly. And, and had Greg Capullo and Todd McFarlane on art. Cause I know, I, I know you have issues with the art Wayne, but I mean, for me, it, it's the art is what I expected that I have. I, there were some questionable choices, but it didn't honestly, bug me. for me, the writing was just unbearable. I don't, I don't have huge issues with most of the art. My issues with the art were Alfred. Like yeah. the spawn looks like I would expect spawn to look. And like, I want spawn to look Batman, I think looks great. Anytime people are in costumes, I think it's, it looks really good. It's just the faces all look like McFarlane faces. Yeah, it's 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 a tough book, you know, and it, it I don't know why I expected more. But if you took the word balloons out, I feel like I'd enjoy the book a lot more, <laughs> um, you know, but, the, it, you know, it is Todd McFarlane has never been known for his masterful writing skills. No. So I just kind of, you know, I, I keep like an abused person i keep Uh going back to the well hoping that he's improved and uh he hasn't i'm so sorry that's well you know it's a theme this week where i'm going to talk about books where i enjoyed the art uh uh and did not enjoy the story um you know and i i I will feel the christmas spirit by the end of this podcast i assure you will you paul 
I will, but it won't be with Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. Well, you know, there are two Dark Crisis books to talk about this week. One is Dark, Dark Crisis, Crisis on Infinite. You will. Yeah, the crises. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> the one is Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven, uh, wrapping up the this series. Mm-hmm. And the other is Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths Big Bang. Now, you might want to, you might feel compelled to talk about it with Big Bang first and issue number seven second because that's the publication order. However, the reading order is reverse. Yeah, and that's I did how, catch that. I was like, huh, yeah, that feels yeah, odd. Fuckers. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven is where we'll start today because we'll do it right, D.C., yeah, <laughs> they even have like a little caption at the end of Dark Crisis. I mean, they tell you in Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth number seven, this story continues in Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah, Big Bang. But there's, but there's no note in Big Bang saying, hey, read Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth number seven first. I no. mean, you know, because those are the kind of shits that the people at DC Comics are just Can saying, we do better something problematic before we get into Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth. Sure. Proper. Sure. Randomly uh-huh. in issue seven. And this is the only bad thing I'll say about the art. That's why I'm starting with it, because the art is, is generally fantastic, except that the artist decided randomly in issue seven to draw Black Adam as the rock. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it, it, yeah. now, don't get me wrong. They, they had some fill-in artists for these epilogue scenes, so it may not be the main artist of the book, um, Daniel Semper. It may have been, you know, one of the others like Jack Herbert or Giuseppe Cumicoli. Um, but I was like... Why is Black Adam the Rock all of a sudden? Because uh-huh. <laughs> he hasn't been for six other issues. Right. Or most of this book. Yeah, or most of yeah. this book. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I thought that was a, a little worrisome as well. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to also cite one other issue before we get into the to the uh, the majority of the book. Um, the cover. I, I have had problems with most of the covers on this series. Mm-hmm. And the you know in gigantic letters on this on this book it says dawn of the dcu the lettering is so primary on the cover that the title of the book dark crisis on infinite earths is very small in comparison mm-hmm. which leads you to believe that the title of this book is dawn of the dcu yeah when i bought very, it that's what i thought until yeah. i saw the it's seven of seven. It's like, oh, this is actually the main series. It's yeah. not one of the many, 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 many tie-ins. I think that's a mistake. I, <laughs> I think that that somebody made an error here because, you know, if you were looking for Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven, I think you might have walked right by this. You know, well, now, that may be it, for what it's worth. You know, the, the dawn of the DCU aspect of the book isn't for me obvious. Uh-huh. Um. Which I guess is honestly probably my biggest issue with this book in general. Uh-huh. Um, it has been for all seven issues, which is this is a book with a lot of great moments written poorly. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's true. That's true of the entire series and yeah. certainly of this last book. I mean, there are some great uh, uh, artistic moments. There is a, a really cool scene with that's a, a full pager of black Adam who's getting his ass handed to him by uh, Deathstroke, and, you know, he, he, you know, black Adam says, you know, uh, upon 
Deathstroke saying, you know, you you were right, you know, this new Justice League can't do it, yada yada, and and now you would fight alongside them, and Black Adam finally, you know, essentially like spinning his teeth out says, I would die with them. And it's a great, beautiful scene. Uh, but like you said, it's a, it's a good moment in the midst of really a terrible story. Uh, I, I hate this book. I, yeah. I just really, really hate this book. Well, and I a think, lot of great things. Again, a lot of you know, not just that moment with Black Adam, but you know, they they very much want to make Nightwing this heart of the DCU. Uh-huh. You know, he, he overcomes he overcomes the great darkness on his own. Right. You know, and you have this emotion. You're supposed to have this emotional beat with Deathstroke and his family. But there is no emotional renaissance, you know, res- renaissance or whatever, you know, <laughs> resonance. <laughs> there is no emotional resonance to or renaissance <laughs> or renaissance. Like, you know, you if, if this exact same book had been written by Tom Taylor or Jeff Johns, those would have been stand up moments and emotional moments. There is no emotion. And I think I said that, honestly, I think somewhere around issue two or three. Um, where I'm like, this book feels like it's written by a committee. Uh huh. That's it. Same with the fun finale. You have, the, you know, hey, Nightwing is supposed to be the heart of the DCU and he overcomes great odds and Deathstroke has, a, you know, a beat with his family. But none of it has any emotion to it. They are just moments that happen. Well, I don't know exactly why, but when I read this book, I don't get the feel that I've read a story. I get the feel that I've read a lot of individual moments that they put together in a book. Yeah, I like I read somebody's notes. Yeah, like yeah. there's scenes, yeah. but they don't flow together. And it's like yeah. the concepts in the book, I like. I love Nightwing being the heart and uh, that Nightwing is the one that's able to hold off the darkness. But the implementation of it and yeah, the whole like a, conversation with Slade all fell flat with me. Exactly. Again, if Tom well, Taylor, if they brought in guest art, guest writer Tom Taylor to just write the bits with Nightwing – it would it would have worked better, but because we you know Tom Taylor has no problem accessing the emotion behind Nightwing yeah. and his importance in the universe and what he brings to the table that Batman doesn't. And this book tried to try to capture that, but just doesn't. Well, and I love Black Adam sharing his power, but we don't actually see much of it. Like he does it, and then we go back to all these other scenes. And the heroes are just glowing. Their power, their costumes aren't really changed. But like when he does it, you look in the background and you see, I think that's Mary Marvel, but wearing the Black Adam version of the costume that she wore that I love so much in the earlier runs. Yeah. It's like I got all excited that I was going to see that again. But no, I just see glowing colors on their regular costumes. Well, and I think the I think the one of the primary problems with this book has been the bad guy. You know, who cares about Pariah? Right. Well, apparently they don't either because they took him off the table in the last issue. Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, so you you, and so so you you don't care about Pariah. I you know, I'm I I think Deathstroke is best in the pages of the Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really like Deathstroke exported beyond that. And his whole like, I've got to kill every everybody because, you know, uh, children shouldn't be in this business. You know, I, I just that worked back in the eighties. I'm really kind of done with that motivation for Deathstroke. Um, I, I did not buy him being, you know, the avatar of all of these powers, right? No, uh, it just yeah. was silly. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, you know, I appreciate that he is fueled by all of this, you know, 
power funneled into him by, you know, Pariah, etc. But, you know, number one, Pariah is a bullshit character. I mean, he, I always felt like Pariah was the weakest link in the original Crisis on the Infinite Earths. Uh, he was not the guy I was really interested in. And really, to make Pariah the big bad in this book is misplaced because Pariah has always been a witness, right? Mm, yeah. uh, he, he's the guy who see he, he suffers because he has seen countless universes die. And then to transform him into the big bad just didn't work. Um, and then, you know, to have Terminator or Deathstroke uh, come in as his surrogate didn't work either. I just, it, it, the whole thing just didn't work for me, even though there are some great moments in the series. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of great moments throughout the series that, the series itself just doesn't live up to those moments and it doesn't feel like a big story. It feels like a story written to highlight a bunch of moments, which gets to my last complaint, the epilogue. I have an issue with each one of the epilogues. Before we get to the final epilogue, can we just, you know, cause there's like three epilogues. One is the one with black Adam, right? Where I'm like, okay, you know, like now he's the rock stupid. Um, But then you have the (laughs) one with Dick Grayson and Batman you know, where, you know, it, Batman's like, I'm proud of you, blah, blah, blah. And then they talk about the Justice League and Batman goes, and this is almost an exact quote. He's like, there is no Justice League. The Justice League decided we need to rethink the Justice League. So there's no more Justice League. I'm like, you just said there's a Justice League. <laughs> the League decided yeah. we shouldn't have a league. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> that seems contradictory to me. Uh-huh. Um yeah, yeah so they're going to take a little break from doing a Justice League book, which basically means they don't have a superstar creative team lined up yet. So they'll relaunch it with a new number one, probably in six months. Um, and it, it ended with just a big flop. And then you have, which I'm assuming you're referring to, that that epilogue with Amanda Waller. Yes. So I like Amanda Waller. I've always liked her character. I'm sick of seeing her. They bring her in constantly and they make her this big, like, world level threat for the characters i think she's a great character as a background character that you hardly ever see a boogeyman pulling the strings you know flash recently dealt with that where flash finds uh heat wave and is asking why he's turned bad again and finds out that you know oh flash didn't come see visit him like he said he would amanda waller got to him that was a great reveal. This of Amanda Waller being the villain for the next set of the arcs. Just I'm done with the character. I like the character. They're oversaturating her. Yeah, I feel like, you know, certain characters and I feel and I hate to say this and I'm going to I, I'm going to regret it. And perhaps it's just the writers. But I feel like just like with what Darkseid has become with DC since the Darkseid War, you know, the Darkseid War was like a 12 issue giant epic story and ever since then it feels like they just continue to bring in dark side with like oh here's dark side doing the exact same thing you need dark side without to do. really thinking about it yeah yeah and same with amanda waller it's like they make you know it's, it, again it's it's another moment to the book that they expect to have an impact but it has no impact because it's like here's amanda waller doing literally exactly the same thing amanda waller does every time you see her yeah, and here's Peacemaker because he was on a really popular TV show. That's yeah, right. Exactly. That's exactly why Peacemaker is there. Yeah, it's just it, it, that ending. I was like, well, we've already had Justice League versus Suicide Squad written by Jeff Johns, like, I don't know, seven years ago, give or take. And it was pretty solid. Like, I don't know that I need that again. Um, and I understand 
as comic fans, we we should accept the circular nature of comics. But I do I I do hate when the circular that 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 cycle uh-huh. of of villains or whatever repeats so frequently that you know you don't even have time to to have an impact because oh dark side's back he was yeah. just in a series six months ago yeah. you know so it, it's like you know they're going to defeat him and then that person's just going to return in a few months yeah but uh so i think i think we're three for three here saying that we did not care for dark crisis on infinite yeah. earths the yeah. seven issue series however guys i really liked dark crisis big bang despite its terrible cover yeah it's terrible cover um, but it is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Jurgens. So and Norm Rapmond. It's a was, gorgeous book. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting how enjoyable it is when you think about it. All it is is a uh, tour day multiverse. Well, mm-hmm. and what I like about it is it's got Flash and Kid Flash uh, investigating the multiverse as a crime scene, right? Yeah. I, that's how it's framed. And that they are, you know, there is a part of Barry, uh, you know, who's he's investigating his own murder. Right. I mean, you know, from the original crisis on the infinite earths. And I'm just like, you know, this is a really great take on this. I, I and while, you know, we don't really do a whole lot of investigating here. So that's just how it's framed up. We get a tour of the new normal within the DC within the DC universe of all of these worlds. And you get these terrific, beautiful takes on all this action. And it is so satisfying as someone who has, you know, participated in each one of these infinite crises uh, throughout the years. Uh, I, I just deeply dug the, the artwork and the way this story was told, even though it's really not much of a story, uh, but it was a hoot and a half. And then you get one of those things that I love in comic books where they explain all the stuff. And so they, they chart out for you in the back of the book, all the known different earths yes and and guys you know i mentioned this in our chat earlier this week but earth 1996 mysterious amalgamated heroes yes requires further investigation i'm 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 interested in that Uh, same same yeah I i love that it's on the list well and i hope what this will result in and this is a cycle that i wouldn't mind because it has been a while, is I hope this does result in a in an official rebranding and relaunch of the Elseworlds titles. Right. Um, yeah. You know, referred to as Elseworlds because you know books they they reference um, the Dark Knights of Steel, uh-huh. um, you know, the Red Rain, Gotham yeah. by Gaslight. You know, they reference all those. Um, I would like to see the Elseworlds stamp on a cover again. Yep. Um, to to truly delineate. And I'm glad we have more than 52 universes again. You know, it, it, it the, some good things did come out of Dark Crisis. The, the return of infinite possibilities is one of them. Right. Yeah. And uh, this book had another bonus going for it in uh, that the Superboy in the book brings crypto. Yeah. Right. Any book where crypto shows up just right. immediately makes it a little bit better. Yeah. I dug this book so hard. I, I th- it was a lot of fun to read. Yeah, uh, it was interesting for me because I've read a lot of Flash books lately, mm-hmm. but the Flash I'm reading is Wally West Flash, the the normal Wally West, and this Wally uh, that's in this one, Wallace West, is in some of those. Uh huh. But I haven't read a Barry 
Flash book in a while. And I'm not a huge Barry fan, but this is the perfect story for him. Right. Going back mm-hmm. to Crisis. So I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully we will see some people really utilize this and we'll, we'll start to see what's coming out of Dark Crisis with that Dawn of DC, which I think kicks off next week in um, Action Comics 1050. But, you know, one of the reference Earth, we, we now know that Deceased takes place on Earth 55 based on this book. Um, you know, Deceased War of the Undead Gods came out uh, this week as well. Issue five. And I think it's issue five of nine, eight. I don't, I don't remember how many issues are in this eight in this final Deceased book. And normally, I mean, it's not like I really necessarily need to talk about the story or any of the beats that happened in this issue. Uh-huh. One of the things I really wanted to mention is I feel like the magic has gone from Deceased for me. Uh-huh. I feel like it's grown too big. Yeah, they, once it reaches this cosmic level and it's all across space and you have a deceased Mr. Mixus Pitalik. Yeah, a giant Mr. Mixus, whatever, Spitalik. You know, <laughs> a deceased fighting a giant sword-wielding specter. Don't get me wrong, it's a fun scene, but that's so far removed from how traumatic <laughs> the first few issues of Deceased were. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's no... Deceased was all character moments. That's what made it powerful and good. And don't get me wrong, there are some character moments in here. The uh, the Green Lantern Corps turning against the Guardians to go with Kilowog, I thought was a great moment. Uh, when they describe in there Ares and Mixer, Mr. Mixer's Pitalik getting ready to face off, and even the Guardians won't stand between them, but Clark and John do. Like Those are some really cool individual character moments, but they are few and far between in the overall story at this point because it's just too big yeah it's not a, it's not a poorly written book it just it's definitely removed itself from what drew me into deceased in the first place i i found this book very frustrating this issue in particular very frustrating because they really broadcast how mr say it for me again wayne <laughs> <laughs> mr mixix Fiddlick. Thank you. Uh, they really broadcast how he's going to screw up, you know, long before we get to the page where he screws up and uh, gets infected with the anti-life equation or Erebus or whatever the hell we're calling it. Um, that bot that really bugged me. Um, but I also strongly disliked any time the uh, Guardians battery, you know, the core battery is taken out you know we see all lanterns everywhere lose their power yeah and so they lose their power yeah and i'm like oh wow you know we're we're seeing the the green lantern corps all die in space but you know they get saved right at the last damn minute and i'm like you know this is a horror book go ahead and kill those sons of bitches off you know, yeah, I mean, you let, you let them die. Ter- you, you should be close up on their faces, panel after panel, as they suffocate and freeze in the depths of space. But no, well, they get saved. Well, and how about a little consistency with that, where sometimes when the battery gets destroyed, they all immediately lose their powers. Right. Other times they have their charge on the ring right. until the ring goes out. Exactly. Which yeah, way I was thinking is the same it? thing. And how many times have we seen? We've seen the battery destroyed enough times yeah. now that they're inconsistent with it. You would I, think after the first time, the Guardians would build something into the rings as a backup uh-huh. to just hold a charge after it's gone so their uh-huh. heroes don't die. Because it's got to be destroyed again. Yeah, you know, I do wonder that because it's like, you know, you, it's not like my phone dies as soon as I unplug it. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, isn't the whole point you're you're bat you know like oh battery power at sixty percent? Like, shouldn't it has some type of charge? It's not yeah, always plugged in. Yeah, <laughs> and no, I, 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 I think I it's a Tom agree. Taylor book, and I was just saying how great Tom Taylor was earlier, but uh-huh. it there's definitely deceased has definitely passed its prime, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to these last three issues wrapping it up. Man, we are being real bummers this well, week. And let, let me let me continue the bum with Danger Street number one. <laughs> <laughs> because I, let me tell you, I, I'm conflicted on this book because I really want to like it. Um, and I will read the entire thing, but I will not pick it up in single issue format from here on out. Uh, I bought the first issue. I read the first issue. And there are there are things I like about this book. But the handwriting's already on the wall with it. You know, it's it's a Tom King joint. I like me some Tom King, but I also recognize that uh, Tom King is uh, a not a long format storyteller, uh, and he does not read well issue to issue any longer uh, over that period of time. Agreed. There are elements of the book that I think are really interesting. Uh, there's elements of this book that I think that are super silly and that really pull me out of the book, like the whole notion. Here's the reason why I bought the book, because I know all these things about Tom King going in, right? The reason I bought the book is Warlord is in the book. And I (laughs) fucking love me some Warlord. Um, You know, Morgan Travis is totally my jam, and we get precious little of him in DC Comics. Um, He's in the book. uh, Metamorpho's in the book. And the Blue Starman is in the book. And they the, – the whole idea of this is that they are going to summon Darkseid to Earth and take him out as their audition for the Justice League. So stupid premise from characters who ought to know better, right? Yeah. Um, and so that right there – I mean you, you already can tell that this is there, – there is a, a massive silly component in this book. Um, and then we have these kids that are sharing the spotlight um, – and it's set on Danger Street, which seems like a, a big send up of Yancey Street. Uh, these feel like Jack Kirby characters, either Yancey Streeters or Newsboy Legion, all the way down to their ridiculous nicknames that nobody ever provides each other these kinds of ridiculous nicknames anymore. <laughs> um, I do like the character of Lady Cop, though. I like her a lot. I mean, there are things to like in this book, uh, not the least of which is the artwork completely dig the artwork in this book but the way the story is being told by the way artwork is by uh jorge fournier's um and it's gorgeous it I, is, I just it I, I, lo- I love the artwork but you know at the end of the day i'm gonna I've, i know i'm gonna spend more time being frustrated by the issue to issue storytelling in this book but i'm out uh, and i will read it uh as part of dc infinite uh when it's all collected because whoo Buddy, I can. I the handwriting is on the wall about this one. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the same thing with. I, I, Human Target snuck in because it, it happens to be good uh-huh. um, on an individual <laughs> issue basis. But generally, your point with Tom King is you're not really going to feel satisfied with a Tom King book until the last quarter of right. of the book. So if it's a 12 issue series. You're really not going to feel satisfied until that second half, issue nine, you know, give or take, where shit starts making sense. Yeah, and I will say even, like, Human Target would be that way if it wasn't for Ice. He just made us love Ice so much. Right? There is that, right? I think, But it's also got this noir sensibility. But with this one, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Aaron. Art by Jorge Fornes, uh, just beautiful. 
Um, and I think it's going to be worth the read. I do too, but it's not, not, it's not going to be worth the wait. Correct. And that's the thing. Like yeah. if I read this issue to issue, nothing is going to happen on an individual basis. That's going to blow my mind right. um, enough that like, I, that I, that I feel like I can't wait. It's not appointment reading for me. I will wait yeah. until the entire 12 issues or eight issues is out, you know, and I'll read it collected and it'll, and I will feel much more satisfied. Um, and, and, and Tom King, you know, I struggle with Tom King anyway because I love Human Target. Um, I still haven't finished Strange Adventures. I think I'm only halfway through. Um, you know, the, he, I just he's inconsistent. But yeah, this one, it, it like it, it wasn't a bad first issue, but it was a first issue that cemented my concerns about it. So I'm just gonna wait. Yep. Yep. So I want to spread a little joy. Right. I, I, yeah, I, here's where I, things turn around. I, I feel bad that, you know, we here we are in our Christmas show and it's just all gloom and doom. But I got to tell you, uh, Invincible Iron Man, number one by Jerry Dugan and uh, uh, Juan uh, Frigari. Uh, I very much enjoyed this book. I, and I think I think it, it really indicates a strong uh a strong start for this new Iron Man series. You know, it picks up right on the heels of the previous series and really takes on that whole warehouse full of weapons uh, right from the jump. And I, I, I'm just really excited about this and I don't, I don't want to uh, jump too far into it until I hear what Wayne has to say about Invincible Iron Man. Number one, I hated this book. Did you really? Why? I am so sick of the down and out Tony Stark. We just saw the arcs of that. I want to see Tony being awesome. I don't want to see him walking into a bar and coming out drunk. I want to see him capable in battle. Uh, and he did have a good fight here, and I liked the twist they come up with. But overall, it's just I feel like we've seen this story too many times lately of the down and out Tony Stark. And he's on his own, and now he has no money, and... I'm ready for him to be awesome again, and he's not being awesome in this book. He's being uh, he's being overly emotional, which he has good reason for, but he's being depressed Tony Stark again. And I don't disagree with you about down and out Tony Stark. However, when we've seen t- Tony Stark down and out, he still had tons of money available to him. Now, he didn't have his, you know, super wealthy, you know, Tony Stark Industries money, but he still had more money than than any normal human being has. Here we see him give away just about the remainder of his fortune in a lawsuit that for which uh, Jen Walters is his attorney. Um we, you're right. We see him appear to be drunk. However, I believe that that has been man- manipulated. I think someone made him drunk or made him seem drunk. Um, I don't believe that that was Tony, you know, willfully helping himself to, to drinks. I think that, you know, he's being manipulated. Um, I, I, I dug where this book was coming from. Uh, I, I like that, you know, in addition to him being broke, he's down to one suit of armor now. You know, he doesn't have all of these, you know, pocket suits of armor and he doesn't have, you know, armor that just appears out of his skin anymore. He's actually got a suit of armor. And that that's I like because I hate nanotech armor. Same, same. I hate that, you know, where the armor just appears. I like him to have to carry it around in the suitcase, right? I mean, I like. I like that about Iron Man. I like how uh, tactile 
that yeah, can be. I, I like the damage to mean something and him having yeah. to repair it. Well, and him not having to, have to walk the nanotech up. fix it. Well, and he doesn't have the means to fully replace his suit anymore, so he's walking around with a cracked helmet. I love that. Um, I also really dig that he has been—he is being so uh, critically manipulated by whoever the bad guy is that he almost murders a man, right? Yeah, because I, he thinks that that he's dealing with a, a drone, uh, you know, suit of armor when that that he's fighting, and he realizes that there's a guy inside of it. I um, really liked that twist. I thought yeah. that was very well done. Because they give the obvious it's a drone, and then you find the person in the armor is not the one controlling the armor. Yeah. I, I like that the bad guy has gotten all up in Tony's business, uh, You know that he seems to understand Tony really well. Uh, I, I dig that, uh, you know, that we're, he's being manipulated on all sides. I am not at all interested in an addiction story, but I am interested in somebody making him seem like he's fallen off the wagon. And, you know, I think that that's going to have repercussions um, in and amongst his friends. And, you know, I think that's that's sort of told in the cover to next issue uh, where he's taken a beating from Ironheart. Uh, I I, I dug this book. I, I am all in for this series. Yeah, so I I just don't want to see down and out Tony anymore. I want him to be awesome again. And I, I, I think that I think you're going to get that. I think this is going to be the road back for him. But uh, I I don't mind him being down and out. But I want him to be all the way broke. I want him to have to, you know, work in a garage, you know, to fix his suit and have to string it together. You know, I I want him to have to, you know. Use, you know, tin cans and bailing wire or in the in the parlance of Star Trek, stone knives and bearskins uh, to, to to make his suit work. But I dug it. I dug it. Sorry you didn't. Uh, Paul. Yes, sir. Thanos Death Notes number one. And I, I believe it was a one shot. Yeah, I think it's a one uh, shot. I, I, I read it and I immediately had to know what you thought about it. I loved it. Um, you know, I, I the so this is basically short stories about different eras of Thanos's life. And it's setting up a story that just began in Thor. Um, in, in fact, it began on the same week called uh, the legacy of Thanos, which I picked up Thor 29, even though I haven't picked up a Thor issue in like 10 issues at this point, I, I cut out during the, the Hulk crossover. So hopefully I won't be lost. Um, but I, I genuinely enjoyed this book. And of course, you know, I've got to mention that there's a short story with art by Ron Lim. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yes, yes, of <laughs> course. And you know, it, we didn't mention it because we haven't podcasted in a few weeks. But Marvel has announced that the creative team behind the uh, Silver Surfer book um, that we all – Silver Surfer Rebirth, I think, that was Ron Mars and Ron Lim will be returning to do a new Warlock, Adam Warlock miniseries with the um, – wow. Uh, what's the, uh, the team? The um, – his team, Warlock, oh, the, uh, Infinity Watch, and the Infinity Watch. Yeah, <sighs> sign me up. Sign me <laughs> up. You know, the, you know I, I, I was, I do find, you know, it was kind of my same point about um, Dark Side that Marvel does tend to go to the Thanos well a little, a lot, a, yeah, a lot yeah. more frequently than they used to, which does reduce his impact. But again, it all boils down to the right writers because you know our writers like kieran gillen and and you know now some of the writers in this book um you know the, as long as they do the right things or you know as long as they tell good stories i wouldn't mind it as much it does reduce the impact of when you see thanos 
um, you know, because when Thanos came back for that Infinity book by Jonathan Hickman, it was a big freaking deal. Right. But, you know, he he's basically been in a book every month from Marvel since then. So it does reduce his impact, but as long as it's a good story, I don't mind. Um, and we had some great art writers on this book. We had J. Michael Straczynski, Christopher Cantwell. Um, I think Donnie Cates may have done the uh, the wraparound story. So I enjoyed quite a bit of it. I did not love the Christopher Cantwell story, um, but I enjoyed the rest of it. What did you I, think? I thought – same. I thought that the they, they chose write, writers for this book that understood the character. Uh, which, you know, you can't always expect on these kinds of, you know, anthology books. But I thought it worked really well. I think it does tie in nice, nicely to the ongoing story in Thor. Uh, though, you know, Detective Thor, I thought was a little amusing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of feel like Thor would send people out to do that. He, he wouldn't do the, uh, the gumshoe bit himself. I gotta tell you, one of my favorite short stories in here was the Iron Man story with him. Uh, See, that's the one I had an issue with a little bit. Oh, I loved it. I loved, I, I loved it until the end because it's like, you know, this is basically Iron Man's first interaction with Thanos, right? right. Uh, the Thanos robot. Right. And, you know, at the end of it, Iron Man uncovers a terrible secret and he's like, I just can't tell anyone ever. Mm. And I'm like, mm. I feel like <laughs> at some point in the last 30 years, you would have had a reason to spill the beans that, you know, basically Thanos is saying, hey, I've already defeated all of you. You know, I've already done all this. You're only alive because, like, I got the stones. I have control over time and everything. I just recreated the universe. <laughs> everything is Thanos. You're yeah. Thanos. I'm Thanos. Everything is Thanos. And I'm like, I hmm, Okay. I dug that Iron Man story on a couple of different levels. One, I just love that it brings back that ridiculous Thanos robot from <laughs> way back in the day. I mean, I just I love that stuff. But what I also liked, and normally I don't like I, I, this is something I do not enjoy, but I thought it was executed well here in this story. It's kind of a tie in to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a way, because it creates that moment where Tony realizes that the earth is in danger from this external threat. Right. So it kind of, it kind of links in a way into that MCU story and creates that mania within Iron Man that he has to protect the earth, that he's got to build a suit of armor around it. And I just, I kind of liked that. And like I said, it's not, it's not a direct tie in, uh, but it is a tonal uh, similarity in those stories. And I thought it worked well here. I dug it. And, and I, I also, thought that the preview images were really the, the the flashback or flash forward images were really interesting. Uh, and I really liked the J. Michael Straczynski. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to say this about all the stories, I, but the J. Michael Straczynski one was, was really well done. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, he, you know, J, JMS pops in now and then, I guess because that, uh, AWA <laughs> company isn't paying people. <laughs> so right. he needs a paycheck. Um, but the story, you know, the, the way it ended was heartbreaking. Yeah. It, it's it, it's a very well done book. And if you're a Thanos fan, absolutely pick it up. I have not read Thor number 29 yet, the book it mm -hmm. leads into, but um, but I will. And hopefully I'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'm, I, I dug this book. I'm enjoying Thor as well. Uh, now that we're out of the previous story, uh, I, I thought it, I, I thought both of these are, are well worth the read. But, Paul, yes, sir. about a little bit more, you know, joy in, in our holiday episode. Talk to me about Junkyard Joe number three. You know, I, I thought about not mention, not talking about Junkyard Joe because I'm not going to say anything new about the book. Um, but the reason, but I, you know, the book is just 
at the end of last issue, I was concerned that, you know, at some point this book is going to turn around and not be good because they're going to introduce this an action story and it's going to lose the emotion of it. And it didn't happen in this issue. <laughs> um, this issue was I, I don't know. I thought this issue was brilliant. Um, you know, Jeff Johns, for, for those who haven't listened to my thoughts on the, the second issue, just to reiterate them, I feel like Jeff Johns is writing a Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it very much has that feel. You know, you have Junkyard Joe, who is, a, you know, a character who can't speak yet expresses so much emotion, especially on the final page. It is just a beautiful book. When I read this book, it feels like Jeff Johns has walked into my house, punched me in the stomach and said, you're going to (laughs) feel, motherfucker. You're going to feel you're going to feel bad. (laughs) That's exactly what's happened. That is what Jeff Johns does. He goes to people's homes, random readers homes and assaults them. (laughs) (laughs) This book, this book is just so. It makes you feel emotions. I don't do that reading comics usually, but he makes you care about these characters so much. And for a character like Junkyard Joe that doesn't talk, that you feel pain for this character, yeah. that he is so like mentally broken and traumatized. And you see it in all of these little ways down to him breaking down in one of his old war buddy's arms it just hits you right in the feels it was only an old mug Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i'm happy we ended on this book because i can end on a book that i love so much and have some positivity to say and you were ending on a book that is not a happy book uh-huh but there is but, just so much it's emotion it's about feeling. the trauma of war and the fact that joe and you know, a non-talking character can express this PTSD of the war. Well, and it's so, not well, even just yeah. the the trauma of war; it's loss in general. Because you see the loss in the kids that have lost their mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that it's about trauma, not specific to any particular situation. Because you know, there's trauma going on across the street. Uh, you know, when when we first meet the family that moves in across the street. I'm like, I am not interested in these guys. And now I am. Thank you, Jeff Johns. Uh, you know, that they, they have lost their mother and each of them is grieving her in their own way. And, uh, you know, dad, kids, the whole bit. And, you know, so it's, it's trauma on one side of the street, trauma on the other side of the street. And we're yeah, going to see got how the, that comes together. Yeah. You've got the girl that, idolizes him because of the the art right and she is the the beacon of hope for the family the one that says we can get through this we we're going to be you know it's going to be okay and then you see her get broke well and you see i mean she's the one who's acknowledging it everybody else is kind of shoving it to the side but she's acknowledging uh the the turmoil that they, that they're all experiencing. I I dig this book. There's there's a lot of layers here. And what kills me is you know we got we got a preview of the bad guys last time. And you know Jeff Johns holds those guys off. Yeah. You know they we we do not get that. Con- you would think you were going to get that conflict in issue three, and that's not what happens in issue three. And there is nothing about that that's unsatisfying. You know, yeah, I that, thought I would be upset about that, yeah. but you know, the, the story was so good that it's like, okay, I, I'm almost dreading the bad yeah. guys coming in, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of yeah. my thing. I, I want to see more of this character interplay 
Uh, yeah, but, but on the other hand, you know, I trust Jeff Johns, you know, in this story to deliver, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm happy to take my hands off the wheel and let him tell his story. But, you know, in the hands of another team, you know, where you didn't have somebody like Gary Frank, who is such a profound visual storyteller and yeah, you've got yes. somebody at, at the at the, just the bleeding edge of his talent like jeff johns who's just right in the guts out of this thing um you know in lesser hands this would not be a story that would be nearly as satisfying but damn there there are so many close-ups on the faces and that works because the artist can do that's right. Expressions. Yeah. Like an artist that couldn't do expressions could not hold this book because so much of what makes it impactful is you can look at the faces and see what's going on in their heads. So, you know, you know, compare and contrast, right? Uh, Danger Street versus Junkyard Joe. Um, I think both will probably read fine collected. This is a book I want to show up for every month. This yeah. is a book that you know, give it to me now. I will take my single issues. Give it to me now. Uh, whereas Danger Street, I happily wait for that to be collected in the app. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? uh, it, it's just a it's almost like ET. You know, it's it's great. It is. I, I, I see, just can't wait for the next issue. Did you see in the le- in the uh, uh, Jeff Johns talks to the audience page that uh, Geiger is being developed for a streamer? I did see that. Yeah. And he, he he does hint that, you know, Junkyard Joe, some news would be coming out about Junkyard Joe as well. Yeah. I'm much more interested in a Junkyard Joe show than than I am a Geiger show. I kind of feel Agreed. like Geiger we've seen, you know, with you know, all the apocalyptic stories that are on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I should say post-apocalyptic stories that are on right now. But I am just, uh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no, I, I decided I need to go back and reread Geiger because it's I, a good remember, book. I remember loving it, but. The further I get from it, the more I'm getting into this. Yeah. And I know Junkyard Joe is, you know, is referenced in there, but I don't remember if a version of him actually showed up or not. So I don't think I, there's anything on page other than than I reference. think it's just back matter. Yeah. 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 So I want to go back and reread it because I remember how much I loved it, but I'm forgetting why I loved it. And this is just blowing me away. If you'll remember this time last year. We were promised Junkyard Joe. And I remember us thinking, huh, that looks like that might be interesting. I had no idea that three just outstanding issues would arrive uh, and and fully address my concerns about how delayed I felt like this book was. Uh, You know, when you're promised something, you know, a full year and, you know, before it it comes out, it just felt like, are we ever going to get this book? You know? Uh, but man, Junkyard Joe just really delivers. If you're not reading it, you're making a mistake. You're making Agreed. a mistake. <laughs> well, and hopefully we'll get that Patriot or whatever that, that character was, um, you know, the Civil War. Yeah. Not, not Civil the, War. Um, the Revolutionary War. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't hey, wait Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, you know, next this, this week is not, was not a small week, but nor is next week. Uh, next week, we get Action Comics issue 1050, which is, you know, the, the new era, um, you know, of Superman and kind of the reboot of that the Superman books with, uh, you know, what they're doing with Jonathan Kent, the new costumes, all that stuff starts next week in Action Comics 1050. 
also from DC Comics. You know, in addition to a start, we get an end. The final issue of DC versus Vampires, issue 12, uh, comes out. And, not, you know, th- that that is a book that, while I've enjoyed it, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it having a conclusion. <laughs> so looking forward to that one as well. Um, also from DC Comics, an interesting book that I did not, I have not heard anything about. Tales from Earth 6, a celebration of Stan Lee. Oh, um, yeah. You know, it, there are tales, um, you know, current tales uh, set in the Stan Lee Earth 6 universe that he created 20 years ago. Um, features um, creative teams including Michael Uslin, Mark Wade, Becky Cloonan, Jim Chung, David Ramos, Lee Weeks. Um, that was the very forgettable – yeah, the very forgettable Just Imagine Stan Lee writing DC Comics, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, of, I'm, just I'm, Imagine. I'm going to check out the art. I'm going to check out the, the stories and see if it's intriguing. But um, I, I had not heard that this book was coming out. Um, also from DC Comics, we get the new issue of Sergeant Rock and the Army of the Dead and the first issue of John Stewart, the Emerald Knight. You know, as part of this new DC um, Dawn of DCU. You know, they've mentioned that there will be two Green Lantern books, one focused on John Stewart, one focused on Hal Jordan. This is the start of the John Stewart book. I'm going to check that one out. I'm interested in a John Stewart book. And from Marvel Comics, we get the new issue of Amazing Spider-Man and the third issue of Strange Academy Finals, which it was announced this week that issue six will be the final issue of Strange Academy. It'll conclude, you know, the 24 issue story arc that they'd had planned from the beginning. So we're we're kind of heading towards the ending. And finally, Wayne and myself, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2, Issue 1, comes out next week. From, I'll be getting that. Uh, Ryan Perot and superstar artist Dan Mora. It's a whole lot of books. Normally, you don't get a, get, get that much good content uh, you yeah, know, on in the week, week of, between, right? yeah, the week between Christmas and New Year's. That's, uh, that's, that's going to be fun. Yeah. And I'm sure the uh, comic shops will enjoy that as well with you know, having you know, people ready to spend money. In their exactly. Shops. So, good deal. Well, hey, we want to know what you thought about this week's books, but you know, you really shouldn't call us because we don't have that number anymore. Do not call 972-763-5903. That number not to call once again, 972-763-5903, because we will not be answering the phone. You know, I feel like when you do that, people are assuming it's reverse psychology. <laughs> it's not. Uh, do not call that number. However, you can reach out to us on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What a deal. Well, hey, we'll uh, see you guys all next time. Have a great Christmas and a very, very happy new year. See you then. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.